back to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, and this week we've got another exciting topic to talk about, well, exciting for me, uh, talk about mentoring new shooters. Uh, before we get into it, important to mention, we are a sponsored podcast here at the, Pre- the Prepared Mindset. Jeez. Uh, check out our sponsor, Eclipse Holsters, uh, eclipseholsters.com. Use our discount code PREPARED15. Save yourself 15% off your order. Guys, if you're looking to get into a better quality Kydex holster, or maybe you're just looking to cancel an order with an existing vendor and get something shipped out faster, cut your wait time down, they guarantee to have their orders shipped out in three business days or less. They got all kinds of colors, patterns, molds for every everything under the sun you can think of, lights, without lights, in the waistband, out the waistband. Great company, great team over there. Jess, the owner, is fantastic to work with. If you guys don't see what you're looking for or you got a custom print or something that you really got your heart set on, reach out. Send them a message. They're, like I said, great to work with, uh, and they guarantee all their work. One more time, that's EclipseHolsters.com using our code PREPARED15 to save yourself 15% off. So, like I said, talking this week about mentoring shooters. And I think that this is an appropriate topic because right now we're about a week removed from President Biden's uh, announcements, right, on on gun control, his plans for gun control. We've done a couple episodes on his proposals, both the bill that's currently in the House, as well as his, um, I guess, you know, his his directive, right, for executive orders and legislative action around things like stabilizing braces and a new head of the ATF and this, that, the other thing. So a lot of people are going out buying guns. That's just the easiest way to put it. More people now are looking into buying a firearm because, yes, it, it's I, I think it's a couple different things, honestly. But, um, you know, <sighs> Just calling it what it is. There's more rioting. Okay, there's more rioting. There's more unrest in Minnesota. Right? There was another uh, incident with Minnesota police. Uh, I don't know. If there's enough facts out to really speak uh, confidently on what happened with that. So I'm just going to say that there's more riots. The weather's getting warmer. I've said it in past episodes. I thought that this would happen again because we're still dealing with the coronavirus. People are still loopy from um, being in lockdown for the past year in varying forms and degrees. Hell, here in Michigan, our governor's actually, uh, from the sounds of it, entertaining the concept of pushing us back into a lockdown as cases here, for whatever reason, continue to soar. Uh, But that's a kind of a separate issue. So um, the rioting uh, has people worried and the, uh, the ultra radical push, (coughs) excuse me, the ultra radical push for more gun control than we've seen since probably the Clinton administration and their assault, the quote unquote assault weapons ban, um, in 94 that, I mean, we never saw anything this drastic under the Obama administration. Um, people right now are not calling for gun control. However, this is the gun control that we're getting because this is what is on the president's agenda. So this is what's going to happen. So yeah, people scared they won't be able to get guns. There's people that are uh, concerned for their safety, you know, and so we have a lot of new shooters out there and something that we talked about at nauseum in several episodes. And I will continue to talk about is as a society, as a community, uh, a pro second amendment community to be specific we need to support each other, right? Um, you got to front you. If you are a shooter, even if you're not even a, a, a great shooter, an ultra competent shooter, but your friends know that you own firearms or own a gun or that you shoot recreationally, you shoot professionally, you shoot whatever you're in law enforcement, right? Spreading a positive image of, of this community is, is really critical. And past that, introducing it in a positive way, um, to people that want to buy a gun, that want to start shooting, right? Because owning a gun's a responsibility. It's not, you know, I know a lot of people, it really pisses me off when people call them range toys or man toys. I've heard that phrase thrown around, and that's why, you know, people don't really need guns. They're, they're just man toys. Like, well, no, it's not a toy. Um, it's a responsibility. It's a tool, um, just like anything else. Uh, so 
if someone is interested in taking on the responsibility and the personal accountability of, of owning a gun and their own, um, you know, self-defense, their own family's protection and safety and well-being, I, I think that, you know, we should do our parts to help, uh, you know, mentor, foster a positive relationship there. So I, I've recently, I, I had read a book that I talked about on the pod uh, probably a couple of months ago now, which was um, Building Shooters. Okay. There's a book by Dustin Solomon that, that specifically looked at like the neurological connections, um, how the human brain learns and how firearms training applies to that science. So kind of taking like a, a look at how best to break down your fundamental skills, how to work on training and things like that to become a better shooter. So <clears throat> this book, uh, it's literally called Mentoring Shooters, again, by Dustin Solomon, uh, does a great job. Uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to go through, you know, the, like the highlights that I pulled out of this because I, I spent a lot of time uh, not teaching shooting, but teaching music um, to high school level students probably like 15 years almost even as hard as that is to believe. Um, but I I taught for a long time. Uh, I enjoyed teaching. So a lot of this resonates with me, um, both in and in inside the shooting world and outside the shooting world with how people receive, uh, data, how they experience it, um, you know, positive versus negative things like that. So looking at mentoring a new shooter, the first thing that he talks about that he touches on in this book, and I think it's pretty appropriate is uh, firearm safety, right? That's a huge, huge issue. Now, most of us that are experienced shooters know the, the basic firearm safety rules, but <clears throat> for his purposes, he speaks directly about two. And his justification behind this is that not all uh, firearm safety rules apply all the time in that sometimes they can hinder what you're trying to do. Um, and read the book because he does a better job uh, saying that than what I just did. But basically, the two constant rules you're always going to observe are muzzle awareness, never point the gun at something you're not willing to destroy, right? Um, and, and he goes on to talk about, you know, bullet traps and, and shooting ranges and things like that, and really being aware of where your muzzle's pointed. And, um, and I think, obviously, that's 100% critical. <clears throat> the other thing he talks about is trigger discipline, keeping your finger off the trigger um, until you're ready to actually make the gun go click or go bang or whatever. Um, everything else, you know, I know there's there's more rules to it. You're talking about the, the four or five, whatever basic rules by Jeff Cooper. Um, or I know I've seen lists that are seven, ten long. You know, I know some people get really, uh, really intricate with how they want to do it. But these are the two that he focuses on. And I think for the purposes of teaching a new shooter in a controlled and like, let's say sterile environment with no live ammo, those are the best two and easiest two to grasp as well as the most applicable for safety reasons. Safety is huge, obviously because someone can get hurt or killed, but also because you know, and I was that guy when I first started shooting, I had somebody come up to me at the range and take the gun out of my hand and unload it because something I had done, I didn't understand was unsafe. You know, we, we, you can go through those moments and you don't feel good about it, right? You don't feel good about it. Um, being disciplined or reprimanded for doing something like that, but if you don't know what you don't know, right? So start with the fundamentals. And and I think that this is something that more people need, honestly. You know, um, when friends reach out to me like, oh, man, take me shooting. I want to learn how to go shooting. It's always a tough sell turning around, you know, and going, why don't you come over and hang out for like a couple hours and I'll show you some stuff. And then, you know, maybe next time we can go out shooting and everyone goes, well, yeah, you know, let me know when you want to go to the range. And it's like, well, you're not really going to have that great of an experience because, you're not going to know. And people, in my experience, there's two different, you know, ways to approach it. You got the people that are like, okay, yeah, man, like I, uh, I, you know, they don't want to be that apprehensive, scared person at the range. So they see that and they go, okay, I'm willing to hear what you have to say. Or you have the people that don't worry about that at all and are not concerned with the gravity of the situation, i.e., you know, holding and operating a firearm. So they go to the range and they're just going to do whatever they saw on TV and stuff. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And if they're dangerous, then, oh, well. And if you are one of the people listening to this and you're an experienced shooter, you've been to a public range before, you know exactly the kind of folks I'm talking about. 
Um, <clears throat> I've been, <laughs> I've been flagged by an AK. I've been flagged by a shotgun. Um, you know, it's, and it's never a reassuringly awesome feeling. Um, in no instances was it obviously, uh, you know, malicious or purposeful, but it, it happens, you know, and you got to recognize that it happens. Um, and this is kind of one of the big things that this book, uh, aims to improve on. You're never going to remove it entirely from the gun uh, society because you're always going to have new shooters that don't know any better. But, um, so, so safety is, is huge. Like I say, he talks about those two rules and even points out some statistics and these are a little bit older because the book's a little bit older, but you know, according to the CDC in 2014, 0.4% of uh, accidental deaths in the U.S. came from guns. So I think that's largely because a lot of people who do own firearms are careful and they do put the time into learning the appropriate ways to handle them. Um, you know, it's very rare, I would say, that you have an incident uh, most accidents, honestly, <clears throat> they occur, and he points it out during loading, unloading, and cleaning of the gun. Um, I've heard stories when when agencies switched over to Glocks, and you had to pull the trigger, right? You got to you have to take the gun out of battery, is what happens. Um, and they screw up the sequence of you know they rack the slide, then they drop the mag instead of dropping the mag and then racking the slide. Past that, you know, you should obviously do a press check or rack the slide. Like when I drop my mag, I'll rack my slide five, six, seven, eight times. Make sure that thing's nice and clear, and then visually inspect it um, before I pull the trigger to bring the gun out of battery to disassemble my Glock. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, that's that's a big part of it, and that's part of what you should teach people as well as how to make the the gun safe and ready and all that. And and it is touched on, um, but he even backs it up a step and looks at well, what do you need to do to be a good mentor, right? And a lot of this, like I was saying earlier. Uh, really resonated with me having, having been a, a music instructor, a teacher, um, you know, some of these concepts, like not everybody learns the same, right? So you got to be a little bit creative, a little bit inventive. Um, and it also helps improve your own skills because if you cannot communicate a point to somebody, um, and have them understand it, you really don't know the source material that well, right? If you can't explain something to somebody more than once, uh, or I'm sorry, more than one way, you know, if you only know one way to explain something and if somebody looks at you and goes, hey, I don't understand, can you explain it to me differently? And you go, no, well, then you don't really understand yourself. And to some degree, you don't really have any business being an instructor. Now, a mentor is different. A mentor can just be that reassuring figure in somebody's, you know, life, whether it's just specifically for guns or in general, that you're going to provide that support. Um, but you can, so looking at just the feedback, right? Because when we think about mentoring and teaching, it's, I provide the feedback, you do said action or activity. I provide more feedback to help you get better and more comfortable. <clears throat> so uh, the four types of feedback, verbal, uh, nonverbal. So thinking, you know, just gestures, uh, not really, not sign language, obviously, but just um, motions and, and things like that with your arms and hands. Um, physical or touching, you know, so if you're making actual adjustments like to somebody's posture or their grip, right? That's a, a set, technically it's a separate type of feedback, um, or withdrawing, uh, or, you know, like a lack of, uh, a lack of interaction, lack of engagement, you know? So if you're backing away from somebody that can be a message of, whoa, what you're doing over there isn't safe. Like you need to stop, um, you know, something to that degree. And he, he cites, it's talking specifically about giving feedback, a study, um, I believe it was a Harvard study by uh, George A. Miller called uh, Magic Number 7 Plus or Minus 2. Uh, and that basically, that study uh, supports or proves that uh, the human brain can only handle about seven things at once, um, give or take one or two things uh, in either direction. Uh, and, and that's why we have like mnemonic devices and, and, you know, tricks that we use to help teach ourselves or our kids how to, how to remember stuff, you know, acronyms, uh, mnemonic devices, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, you could do maybe up to nine. I'm sure there's some outliers to that, but in general, so if you're shooting for the worst case scenario, about five things at once, and that can be, that includes listening, seeing, you know, I mean, like 
it's not a lot, especially when you start looking at, if you reference back to our earlier discussion on how the brain absorbs data and how long it takes to really ingrain those neural connections with some of this stuff, you, we talk about not, you know, over immersing people, not overwhelming them. You don't want to get to that point of over being overwhelmed as a student and as a mentor, you don't want to be the one doing that. So it's, it's critical in the learning process, you know, and, and it's tough because sometimes people lose interest, right? Like, oh, I want to jump ahead to, you know, running and shooting and reloading. It's like, well, we need to stop and we need to, uh, we need to look at some of these other skills first, just to make sure that you're, you're ready to get there and you have a good time doing it and you're not wasting your time or, you know, putting yourself in danger. Um, the author actually even recommends not even five, but sticking to three, uh, pieces of info per interaction. And this is something when I'm, when I was teaching, uh, music, right. And I taught marching percussion, okay. Drum line, essentially, um, that <clears throat> I would catch myself periodically, uh, ranting, right. Oh, you gotta do this and this and this, and by the way, fix this and this. And, oh, now everybody, what I was also thinking was this, you know, so you're giving weight, a bunch of different levels of, uh, feedback and, and input, um, and sometimes only verbally, right? So it could be, hey, make sure you're gripping the sticks like this. Hey, make sure you're playing this high. Hey, make sure you're playing this fast. You know, as a group, hey, you forgot to come in and you came in early and you know what I mean? So you don't want to give one person, any one person too much to think about, whether you're teaching or mentoring a class or an individual, right? <clears throat> and I, you know, I, I, like I said, I used to catch myself doing that, um, teaching all the time. So during rehearsals or practices, which were a couple hours, right? I would try to, as we were repeating the same process over trying to fix issues, I would say, here, let me adjust your grip this way here, try it that way. And I would give them uh, one or two or three repetitions of whatever short exercise that we were doing to, you know, Hey, did, do you see how that feels different? Oh, I don't like how that feels. Okay, well, it, it it's different and you know it's different because it feels different, but it's actually correct and here's why. And you can demonstrate, you can show them, you can use physical feedback and things like that. Um, but it's bite-sized pieces, essentially. It's, it makes it much easier for them to digest. And that's why, you know, <clears throat> and if you have kids in marching band or you ever in marching band, and not to get too far off the topic, but we always, going through my own personal learning experiences, started months and months in advance, right? Even before the summer, we would start in February and March. And every year we'd have the returning students as well as new students that wanted to join. And we all started back on the basics. We didn't even use instruments. Everyone went out and got marching drumsticks, which are definitely different than like your drum set sticks, just FYI. Um, but we would put some two by fours on chairs <clears throat> and every year it was here. Here's how you grip the sticks. Here's the six basic stroke types that you're going to use to play literally anything. And we go back to the fundamentals. We teach, you know, heights, we teach, uh, sticking, right, right and left hand, all that stuff. And every year, even the kids who are on their, their seniors, they've been through it three times already. They go through it a fourth time. Me as an instructor, you know, I used to tell the kids all the time, like, I get it. This isn't the glamorous stuff. You guys don't love it, but you know, this is some of you, your fourth year doing it. <clears throat> this is my 18th year doing it. So, you know, there's something to be learned and gained through every one of these experiences and interactions. So try to look at it that way. Um, and, and be positive, right? Cause nobody likes hearing you're wrong all the time. We, we get in fights with our spouses over it, right? Why do you only ever tell me what I don't do around the house? You know, and I'm guilty of it too. We're all guilty of it. Um, whether you're teaching somebody or not, um, I think it's a tremendous, uh, you know, thing to just tell somebody what they're doing right one day, whether it's a coworker, a friend, like, Hey man, you went back to school. How's that going? Good man. Hey, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. You don't got to do it every time you see him, but I tell you what, it probably makes their day to hear it. You know, just something positive in people's life. Uh, especially, you know, getting back on top on topic here, keeping the interactions positive because it is nerve wracking. And if you think about, you know, some of us that have been doing this a little bit longer, that first time it's scary. Even I remember the first time I ever had to load a magazine, right? It was a Luger, uh, Ruger, uh, LC nine, right? Little subcompact carry pistol. Uh, it was my first time shooting 
it took me like 10, 15 minutes to load all eight rounds in this thing. And I just, I was shaking like a leaf. I thought everybody was staring at me. Um, at the time, unfortunately, my brother was with me and he only had been shooting a handful of times. So he kind of knew what he was doing, but he definitely wasn't ready to be like a mentor. He was just there with me. Um, you know, and it's a scary, it, it's scary. It's intimidating. It, it, you know, anxiety and whatnot. So keep that kind of thing in mind. It, it goes a long way to have somebody give you some positive reassurance. Like, Hey man, you'll get it. You just have to practice loading a couple dozen you know, or thousand times and you get better at it. You just here, hold your hand like this. Think about doing it this way with your thumbs, you know, whatever. But but try, whoever you're working with, don't let them get discouraged or do your best not to let them get discouraged. Um, I noticed with, with young musicians, that was a huge thing. You know, these, they walk in, they see their, their older classmates that are able to do this stuff and they want to do that. They want to do that. Or they see the videos on YouTube of the college age kids that are out there doing, you know, competitive stuff in the summer and the winters. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's great, but you kind of, you put it in perspective, go, Hey man, I, I get it. Everyone has to start somewhere there. You know, I mean, those people you're watching, you're idolizing, they all started where you're at right this moment. Everyone has, I mean, to put it bluntly, I mean, you got to suck to get better. Right. Um, so, and, and just remind people of that. Uh, but make sure that when you're giving feedback, you're trying to be positive and you're trying to, you know, affect a, a positive outcome of the interaction. That's why I like yelling at people um, almost is not a good idea as an instructor because uh, just telling somebody you're wrong, you suck, that was terrible, do it again. Well, what did you just yield from that uh, interaction? Nothing, right? Just, oh, whatever I did was wrong. I don't know what to change to fix it. You know, so I'm just going to do it again. And I only know the one way that I obviously just did it. So I don't, you know what I mean? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. And when giving that feedback, he quote the author again, Solomon quotes, uh, it's Albert Mahibrian. He's a UCLA professor, uh, that pointed out, um, as a teacher, right. Think about how you communicate with, with students or a mentor or somebody you're just trying to teach how to do anything. But as humans, we, you know, only about 7% of overall communication, um, really should be through verbal feedback. Think about that only 7% because you think about all of our senses, right? Sight touch, hearing, um, I mean, taste, which really isn't really applicable, but you think about your senses, uh, you, you know, eyesight is not something verbal, right? Touch is, is not something verbal. Hearing can be something verbal, right? Um, you could be hearing what they're telling you, but you also hear everything else going on around you. So if you're in a public range and there's gunfire everywhere and it's something they're not used to, that's to some extent could be disorienting. Right, you're not used to hearing um, with Ear Pro on or the electric ones. Even to amplify it takes a little bit of time to get used to. And then visual, right? Visual, you're looking down the range, you're looking at the guys next to you, you're looking at all the muzzle flashes and stuff. So you got a whole lot. It's not really a sensory overload unless you're comparing your senses versus your your verbal reception, right? So think about that. Only about seven percent of your uh, overall communication that you absorb. Uh, should be verbal. Um, think about like visual learners and stuff, people that have to see it to understand it or have to do it to understand it. Uh, less is more, you know, when it comes to talking. And this is coming from somebody who, like I said, I had tendencies of my own to, uh, you know, to rant and rave to my students and get caught on a tangent. That's hell. That's why I have a podcast, right? Because I love the sound of my own voice and I like talking and I can do it for, you know, uh, hours on end sometimes if it's the right, <laughs> the right subject, but, uh, small bite-sized pieces and try and keep it brief. Some things require an explanation. If it's something you've already explained, you don't need to re-explain it. If you already went over, um, you know, finger placement on the trigger, you don't have to every time go, okay, well watch the angle of your finger and the pad of your finger should be on this part of the trigger and make sure you're not too far or too, you know, just, rem Hey, remember we just talked about trigger finger. All right, do it again. That's all it takes is, hey, trigger finger, trigger finger. And after a while, if they haven't fixed it or they're still working on fixing it, all you have to say is trigger finger and they'll know. I remember when I was teaching, I used to, you know, trying to get kids to adjust stick angles. I would just look at, you know, hey, left hand in between repetitions and they would know what I'm talking about. I didn't have to sit there and re-explain it again. 
sometimes that's all it takes. You know, less is more. Um, specifically, what you're shooting for that they talk about is the chemical uh, dopamine in the brain that's released when you have positive interactions, right? We remember those feelings. Um, it's the same kind of thing like uh, think Christmas morning as a kid, right? That was a positive interaction. You felt uh, immense joy and positive reinsurance. Reassurance, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it just, so that's because of that chemical release. So with, with teaching, when you're showing somebody something and you, you t- yeah, hey, good job. That, that was great. See how you fix it? That's awesome. That's a really, really good job. That is a positive interaction for the student, which gives them that dopamine release. Like we were just saying, hey, that sucked. Do it again. That's not a positive interaction. It's not going to give them that release. And not every interaction will. I get it. But that's important to consider when when shaping your feedback. Um, it's kind of one of those things, it, it kind of touches a little bit on that. You don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. Now, that's a little bit different if you're, if you're training shooters in a law enforcement agency or the military or something. Obviously, it's different, right? Um, because there's a, at a certain point, you start to set a standard and a level of expectation that needs to be met. So it can't always be, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Um, but he specifically points out, think about overbearing coaches or drill instructors in boot camp, and that's it's a bad experience, you know, for new shooters at least. You know, I'm talking a lot about new shooters here. Um, or even um, <laughs> what, I, what I really enjoyed because I'm kind of a movie nerd is he references the movie Roadhouse, specifically Patrick Swayze's character Dalton when he is introducing himself to the, uh, I guess, the staff, right, the staff of the bar, the Double Deuce. Um, tells him, I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice, right? Of course, in that instance, referring to interaction with um, with rowdy guests or misbehaving guests at a bar. Um, now, I don't know if there's ever going to be a, a time specifically as a, a mentor or a shooting coach, a shooting instructor, that you want to be not nice specifically, um, unless it's for some kind of like blatant safety violation, perhaps. But keep that in mind, you know, positive interactions and the power they really have, uh, to reinforce those experiences and help how much quicker a student will advance through a series of positive, uh, you know, interactions. Um, and you know, and I'm kind of jumping around here, but I'm just, I'm reading off my notes, not, you know, nonverbal shifts in body language, facial expressions can often do more to convey, uh, the importance of what you're trying to teach them than, than words can. Um, Talking about how little of our communication is absorbed verbally, we read body language and and you know physical cues and stuff. Um, so and that you know a thumbs up, hey good job, or a smile and a thumbs up, or you know I mean you guys you don't know, be creepy about it, you can give them a little wink, whatever. But um, that's you letting them know they're doing the right thing, right? Those are huge. Uh, just like a thumbs down, or sometimes it doesn't even take that much. You can just uh, you know cross your arms. Um, you know, take a step back or something. It, it can be enough to 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 let them know yes, good or or no, bad. And again, kind of trying to keep it simple and stick to stick to your basics and your fundamentals. And don't hover, right? If you've ever been, and this goes like anything, right? Anything in life, working with your parents, your older siblings, um, whatever. People looking over your shoulder, and maybe this doesn't bother you, but it irks the shit out of me. Like, if you want me to do something, cool. If I need to be shown how to do it, show me how to do it, and then let me go, and then let me know if I did it wrong later. But I hate having people hovering over my shoulder, like, constantly, um, you know, floating around. Uh, in in the professional world, we call them micromanagers, right? People that uh, <clears throat> they want to tell you how to do your job, and then they want to sit there and watch and make sure that you're doing it. It's like, well, okay, um, why don't you just let me do my damn job and, and get the hell out of here, you know? And you get it. Sometimes that is your boss's job is to hang around and make sure everything's being done the right way. Excuse me. <clears throat> but um, let the student really learn. Uh, you got to take the training wheels off. Give them the opportunity to, to some degree to fail. You got to let them build some skill and some confidence. And that way they, they feel that, uh, again, that dopamine release of having stood on their own two feet and they, and they did it. Hey, I can do this. This isn't that hard or this isn't that bad. Or, Hey, I finally got it. 
you know, so that, and then eventually when you're, when they're at the range practicing or something and they're not with you, they can function on their own and, uh, they, they don't need you there to hold their hand, you know, take the time up front, uh, and, and let them, you know, the student absorb some of the information then walk away, right? Don't hover, let them process because everybody digests things differently, processes differently. Like I was, you know, some people don't mind having somebody watching. I, I know a lot of students that, you know, I used to have to explain something to them. We'd spend about 20 minutes on it. And I would specifically walk away. I would go get a drink of water. I would go get a snack from the vending machine or something while they, you know, uh, ran some repetitions on some exercises, drumming, and I would come back and it would be better. Okay. Cause sometimes that, that over that looming feeling of they're watching me, Ooh, I'm, I'm afraid of making a mistake can be super detrimental to the learning process. Um, and the author specifically actually points out, you know, constant feedback can, can hinder learning, walk away, give them time and space. And it, it really, if you think about it, you have that like feeling of relief, like, okay, nobody's watching me. If I fall on my face here, you know, miss the target or whatever, no one's going to be here to judge me. And as a mentor, we're not there to judge anyway, but as a student, <clears throat> you feel like, like everyone's judging you no matter what, because you're trying to meet that standard you know, you want to get to a certain point as bad as the, the mentor would like you to get to that certain point. Now, after there's four types of feedback, right? We talked about verbal, nonverbal, physical and stuff. Physical and what was the, the fourth one? Because that one was actually new to me was the, the withdrawing, the lack of interaction. So technically kind of like an absence of feedback, but um, those are the four types. Now the four kinds that you could you could give are that listed as direct technical and in my mind this is just here it's not a positive or a negative it is i'm teaching how to do something right here this is your grip here this is your site alignment okay positive reinforcement again thinking back to dopamine negative reinforcement and then the last one is actually uh self-feedback and introspection you we talk about this a lot in the music world. When you start looking at <clears throat> like ultra high level, high performing musicians, whether it's, um, you know, like marching band type stuff, um, at the, at the highest levels, or even like rock stars who like, um, like Eddie Van Halen, you know, just like crazy guitarists and stuff as students, the fastest, the, the faster, I guess that you can identify your own shortcomings, you can identify them specifically um, is the faster you will, you'll get better. And what I mean is if you can look at, okay, you take one shot down range and you're hitting low and left. Okay. I'm hitting low and left. Why am I doing this? If you can isolate, okay, well maybe I'm anticipating. Okay. If you can fix the anticipation and it gets better, fine. If not, then that wasn't it. Right. Obviously. Um, but identifying the issue, like, oh, it's my trigger pull. I'm not saying you're going to fix a trigger pull on the next shot because it feels different, right? That, that sensation of feeling is different for everybody. Everyone's got different sized hands. Maybe your grip needs to be adjusted, but just being able to do that and understand it was bad. And what reason is a huge step, you know, think about a lot of new shooters. <clears throat> they're happy to just get the, to get the shot on the paper. Right. And that could be a huge silhouette target at five yards. And it's really not that hard. Well, they're on the paper. So I feel pretty good. Well, I mean, and, and you should feel good for your first time or two. Um, but the sooner they can, you know, refine that, oh, okay, here, I pulled this one. I pulled that one this way and that way. Okay. It's my grip. You know, the ability to self-analyze is truly, um, the fastest way to get better at, at anything, uh, specifically music. I know when I was able to start identifying what my problems were with a specific, you know, phrase of music, uh, or something, I was able to start hitting my, my goals a lot easier, um, or a lot more quickly, I should say. It wasn't necessarily easier. There's still a lot of time and effort and practice that was put in. Um, and, 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 and right, anything that's worth doing is worth doing the right way. There's no shortcuts. There really isn't with anything that you want to be good at. You want to be great at, you want to be the best at, there's no shortcuts. You got to put the time in. And we talk about that a lot with training. Um, you know, so don't be afraid to put the time in, especially on the fundamentals. Like I was talking about when we were, when I was teaching high school musicians, every spring 
everybody comes back in and we start back over at the fundamentals because as more experienced musicians, as more experienced shooters, as more experienced whatever, our tendency is often to forget those fundamentals and let those slip, which can then, you know, it's like getting cracks in your foundation, which may not be, you know, an immediate problem, but over time, if left untreated, will lead to poor habits and, and bad issues. So touching on your basics, right? Um, step back and, and look not at your, your own knowledge of the basics, but put yourself in the lens of the student's understanding. So if they have zero understanding, you really have to start from the ground. Start with the very basics of safety. Or if maybe they're new to shooting and they understand the beginnings of safety, but now they're just trying to uh, be better at the actual shooting piece of this, then okay. But you have to look at it not with what you think is basic because you're your bar for what's basic is obviously going to be drastically different than somebody who's never done this before if you've been doing this for five years, right? So you really have to put yourself in the student's shoes, not in the mentor's shoes. And then you can kind of work yourself backwards into a lesson plan or into um, a way to approach a student, right? How you should best handle that. Um, and re relying on existing knowledge, uh, limited or not, is what opens up the ability for... Um, mistakes to happen right uh, you don't know what you don't know this allows for uh, cognitive functions to be compromised okay um, teach the basics of how to make sure it's you know uh, the gun is safe how to handle it how to load unload the gun start focusing on safety skip live ammo for a while as needed and that's fine right think about the fundamentals and the basics dry fire is huge like right now especially because uh, you know how expensive ammo is and how hard it is to come by Skip live ammo. <clears throat> that's a that's a real, in my opinion, uh, the best way to introduce anybody to guns is put them in a room, clear all the live ammo out, and check all the firearms again of all live ammo. And then you start teaching grip. You start teaching sight alignment. You start teaching how to rack and, and how to work the slide, uh, the slide lock, the magazine release, all of it, right? Um, think about like, like Glocks, okay? Because Glocks are basic. Uh, well, in... In most ways, Glocks are more basic than like a 1911, especially when it looks at dis, you know dismantling it for cleaning, um, and how to inspect how to inspect the firearm is a pretty universal process for most guns um, that are semi-automatic. Okay, not and what I mean is not revolvers. Revolvers are a different skill set. Um, I'm personally not just that I'm not well versed in revolvers, um, but a lot of hunting rifles, even shotguns. Okay have similar, uh, we call them a manual of arms, how they operate, right? So if you handle one slide operated or sliding action, um, think like a Glock or a Beretta, then you can, that student will be able to pick up most semi-automatic handguns that function that way and will be able to confidently handle them. Now I'm not saying that they're going to be able to just pick it up and shoot like a pro, but they'll have some idea about what's going on. So explain how the firearm works. Uh, you know, the force of the round, how it what that explosion brings the slide back, which when it comes forward, it ejects, uh, you know, the, the spent shell is ejected. When the slide comes forward, it strips that top round off of the, the magazine and inserts it into the chamber for your next round, right? A revolver is different because it operates entirely off of the force of your trigger pull to rotate the cylinder and then the, the firing pin hits the, the back of the round. You know, even, and when talking about that, the back of the round, how is the ammo assembled? Like just explaining some of this stuff and giving background knowledge uh, can help put a student at ease, but also put a greater sense of understanding about how things are working. Um, everyone approaches things differently, thinks about things differently, processes data differently than than the next person. So just because it you know makes sense, oh that's obvious to you, it it or maybe you think it won't impact them. Well, why would I tell them that? That wouldn't make a difference. It might, you don't know, right? So explain how the ammo is put together, how the concussion works. And then when I say put them at ease, this could make them less scared of the gun. No, there's no way it's just going to just blow up in your hand. Here's why, because the con you know the concussion, the uh, it's not an explosion, right? It's uh, gunpowder is an accelerant. And when that burns, it causes a buildup of gas, which then, you know, eventually is what shoots the cart, the, the cartridge, the bullet, the projectile, whatever, down the barrel, right? 
there's no way it's just going to blow your hand up when you pull the trigger. Okay. Well, maybe there could be if you're using cheap shitty ammo, but, um, if you're mentoring somebody that should probably be part of your like pre range explanations is don't buy the cheapest ammo that you found reloaded from your friends down the street with a drug problem or something. Um, but that's, that's totally separate. And then go through the parts of the gun, explain what they all mean. Because if you say, Nope, your, your side alignments off, you gotta do this and this and this, and they don't know what the parts of the gun even are. And that, that might be a thing for some people. So you drop the magazine, they go, well, what are you talking about? You know, because in movies and stuff, TV, we say it's, you know, empty the clip, drop the clip. And it's not a clip, right? Most in semi-automatic handguns, it's not a clip. It's a magazine. If they don't know that, they're not going to know what you're talking about. They're going to look like you got, you know, two heads. Uh, the barrel, the slide. A lot of people think those are one part. The barrel is attached to the slide and they're, you, you say here, point to the barrel and they just point to the slide because they don't know any better, right? The lower receiver um, sites, you know, like what they do, um, and make sure that the student is familiar with them. Right. Um, and then you start, once you get past the, the basics and the fundamental knowledge, right. Uh, of what the, the pieces of the gun are, why they're there, what they do, you answer their questions. Maybe they'll have some questions that you didn't think of. Okay. Then you can start getting into things like administrative skills, which again, you're still not even really touching on, um, shooting yet, but this is all building comfort levels with them handling the firearm in a safe, again, sterile environment. Um, talk about things like, uh, you know, eye dominance and hand dominance, right? Are you right-handed and your right eye dominant? If so, sweet or left eye dominant and left-handed sweet. Um, <clears throat> but I think something uh, that is overlooked a lot of the time, what if they're cross eye dominant? Then they could spend months um, at the range practicing, not figuring out why they can't hit the target the, well as well as they could, right? And there's a couple of bit you can see. Um, there's articles online. There's videos online too where you kind of bring your um, your hands together, kind of like the the Diamond Dallas Page thing. If any of you guys are familiar with like late '90s WCW, um, and set it out, extend your arms all the way out, and focus on something like a button on the shirt of the person in front of you and keep staring at that button and just pull the hands, your hands back, uh, back, 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 back. And you'll actually draw those into whatever your dominant eye is. Okay. And if that doesn't make any sense, just YouTube it. There's a good, there's a bunch of good videos on there. Um, but then you start getting into things like grip, right? A proper grip, but then also, and this was something I didn't even really think about, not that I'm the world's best instructor or anything with firearms, but I, I just, I hadn't really thought about it was how to carry the gun administratively. So when you're unpacking things at the range, um, or practicing it, you know, uh, at home or something, and somebody walks around the, the doorway or the corner, how can you administratively carry that firearm safely where you're not pointing the muzzle or anything at anyone? Right. Um, there's a couple different positions for it. There's a couple different ways to, to, approach that issue. But for somebody who's new, they may not know, you know, and then they get yelled at by a range officer by somebody, Hey, you flagged me. I'm sorry. What did you want me to do? Point it at myself. I, I mean, stuff like that realistically are scenarios that a new shooter, any shooter can find themselves in. And, uh, as a new shooter being able to appropriately, appropriately, uh, respond to that, that's important, right? Again, for safety, but again, it, 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 that way there's not a detriment to the student's confidence by being called out like that in front of everybody in the range. Or if they're taking a, uh, a pistol basics course or something, they don't get called out and pointed out. Um, and I guess maybe in some instances made fun of if they have a poor instructor, since that's an issue in the industry as well. Um, you know, give them those tools, talk about how to administratively carry the gun from, uh, maybe the, the bench behind them to the window or the bay at the range. Um, or, you know, Hey, when you're clearing the chamber and reloading or something, how do you hold the gun? That's a big deal. Okay. How to lock the slide to the rear. It seems really basic. Uh, but you have to do some stuff like that to make sure the gun's clear, right? You have to, be able to lock the slide back. And it's again, some people can't do that the first couple times. Um, you know, usually specifically like women, or maybe you have like muscular dystrophy or something 
there's certain ways you can position your body and your hands, right? And your arms so that you can provide the most leverage from both hands to help lock that slide back. Um, cause a lot of people will try and, you know, they, you see here, grab the, the slide with your left hand and they grab with just their fingertips and then they're squeezing as hard as they can at their fingertips, trying to slide this slide back. And what they need to do is basically lay their palm on it and create as much skin contact with the slide as they can. Cause then that increases the amount of friction they have on the slide. It's going to get easier for them to pull that slide back with that recoil spring and then pop up the, uh, the slide stop lever to lock it back. All right. But if you don't know that those ways to hold it, if you don't know what to, uh, look for as a instructor or a mentor, um, I've seen people struggle with that at the range and I see, you know, they look like they're trying to draw a bow and arrow. Um, and then they end up pointing the gun up and all over cause they're pulling as hard as they can and they can't even control where their arms going. You know, um, I can see it now. Right. And it's, it's dangerous. Um, and unnecessary, right? Or removing the magazine. Yes, there's a button there for that. Uh, if it doesn't just drop loose, okay, here, then you can pull it out. Press down the button, hold down the button. If it doesn't fall out, you can grab the bottom of the magazine and strip it yourself. Or if you press the button, it falls out, catching the magazine, which a lot of us are like, well, that's no big deal. But, you know, uh, preventing damage to your firearm when you can. <clears throat> and parts of your firearm, including the magazine. Hey, if there's no reason to drop the magazine on the ground, especially like a new gun, you haven't had time to buy, maybe you have range specific magazines. I know there's a lot of people that do that or they put base plates on there, um, you know, to, to help protect them or whatever, since, you know, we spend money on this and some, again, I hate the people like bitch each other about that. Cause it's, oh, well, it's a tool. You, you beat it up. It doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it works. Well, I've definitely been dry firing before in my basement on carpeted floors, right? I mean, it's concrete, but there's carpet over it. I've definitely dropped a mag free during a reload drill and had the base plate pop off. So it happens and I check my shit fairly regularly. I mean, it happens. Sometimes you just hit it a weird way or sometimes it's starting to work its way off uh, and you didn't realize it and you're in the middle of a session, you drop that magazine, hits the ground the right way and then there you go. You know, I mean, stuff happens. So <clears throat> teach them how to use the mag release, teach them how to catch a magazine when they're unloading the gun, right? Just, I mean, basic, basic stuff, uh, how to do a press check, right? So after you teach them how to manipulate the slide, Hey, you're loading the gun. Maybe you're, you know, you're making your way to the range for the first couple of times. Do you have around the chamber? I think so. Well, how can you check? Now, yes, a lot of firearms have loaded chamber indicators. Now they have like little colored flags that stick up. Um, something like the Walthers and the Canics have like a little dot that pokes out the back. That's like a really crappy red color or something. And it's okay. Yeah, it's a loaded chamber. Now it could also just mean the guns and battery with an empty chamber, but it's a lot more dangerous to assume that it's empty, you know, than assume that it's loaded. Um, like Glocks have a little tiny people on the top. I think they might not even, um, but Anyway, like, cause I just do press checks. I don't rely on, on looking through a little peephole or any of that stuff. I do a press check. I want to make sure my, my, uh, chamber is, is full or empty, just depending on the situation. Well, how do you do a press check? Well, there's a couple different ways you can do that, right? Um, loading the magazine, talk about that. That's extremely intimidating. Um, having to hold down the follower, um, put that round in, push the round down and then squeeze in the next one. Once you do it a couple dozen times, you start to understand, but the first few times, you know, you see people trying to do it, they fight to, you know, sit the magazine base down on the counter and hold it there, you know, and their, you know, muscle fatigue sets in and it's just, it's all kinds of awful and you feel bad for the people. I mean, or I do, um, even the first couple of times taking my wife to the range and even sometimes now when she's struggling with it, if she's got nails on or something, it's uncomfortable and you start looking around, you see people kind of looking at you, seeing what's going on. You start feeling a little bit uncomfortable about it, you know? Um, so show them a specific procedure, you know, or let them know, Hey, you know, like Glocks come with the, um, like the cheater, the little, uh, auto loader device thing that helps hold that follower down. So all you got to do is squeeze is basically wrap your hand around it and push down. And there's some nicer ones in the market. I think it's like Ablula or something is the company that makes some of the nicer ones, but <clears throat> they make devices that help. 
but talk about that. Let them know, hey man, this sucks. Like I get that you don't like it. I really get that you don't like it. Because if that's their reaction and response to that, they're going to wait until you can go with them the next time to go to the range. They're not going to want to come on their own because they won't be able to load the magazine. Sounds dumb, but especially guys, like you talk about trying to get your wife out sometimes, or you've got a, you know, a parent, you know, a mother or something who's a little bit older and they're going to wait to go with you because they don't want to be embarrassed or they don't feel comfortable and they don't feel confident. So help them out, show them the process behind it. Talk about how they can do it themselves, especially since, hey, if you're at home and you need to load the gun right now, I mean, obviously during a gunfight, you're not loading individual rounds into a magazine, I hope, but they should know how to do it. Um, Sending the slide forward, right? After you have that magazine inserted, what do you do? Do you grip it and rip it? Speaking, of course, to gripping the, the slide serrations in the back of the slide, you know, and kind of just ripping it backwards, which will disengage that slide stop lever and let the slide hit home, come forward, whatever. Do you just press down on the slide lever and let the, let the slide fall home? There's different ways of doing it. Okay. But people don't understand that unless you show them. Okay. And then finally, this one's really important. Unloading the gun safely. Okay. Now, you don't think about this, but the author specifically points out there were a couple, like in the Navy, um, as a, I forget what he said, but he was responsible for, in his position for training people on one of the boats he was stationed on. And there are people that have been shooting for three, four or five years, <clears throat> didn't know how to unload a firearm safely because they just shot till the ammo was gone when they were at the range and that was it. So is there a safety procedure? Make sure they understand, like I was talking about with disassembling a Glock and negligent discharges. Drop the magazine first. First and foremost, get the mag the get the ammo source out of the gun and get it away from the gun. Okay, sit on the other side of the table or something. Then, second, you rack the slide and rack it a couple times just to make sure for good measure. And he also pointed out because a lot of people like doing this because it looks extra fly, <clears throat> extra cool guy. Um, you know, racking the slide and catching the round as it comes out. Let it hit the ground especially with new students, but in general, let it hit the ground and just pick it up. It's easy to pick it up. You know, um, he mentioned an instance where a professional shooter had that, you know, tried to do that. And the round actually got caught in the ejection port in such a way that it hit that primer. And there was a concussion, right? And the, not really an explosion, but the round essentially went off, not in the chamber. So it caused, you know, damage and shrapnel and whatnot. Um, and if, you know, in his instance, he was on a boat, right? It's uh, close quarters for the Navy. So they, they put like brownie pans on the table and you would rack the slide and the round would fall in the brownie pan and then you just pick it, pick it up. Good to go. No big deal. But that's the, that's how you make the weapon safe, right? That's important, especially if this is a new gun owner, they don't have a CPL, right? How do you transport that gun home from the range or to the range? It has to be unloaded, at least here in Michigan. All right, the gun has to be unloaded and separated from the ammo source. So I remember what I used to do the couple weeks before I got my CPL was I'd put the gun in the trunk or as far back as I could get it, and I would keep the ammo up front in my range bag, like in the the passenger seat floor space, as far apart as you could get them. And I put a trigger lock on the gun just for good measure. I don't know if that's actually required because I don't carry with an empty gun anymore, but um, you know, I I took those measures. So it's important getting to the range and leaving the range and for all kinds of safety reasons, legal reasons, unloading the gun is huge and a lot of people skip over it because it's just an afterthought, right? We'll just shoot till the ammo is all gone. Well, no. What if you have uh, hollow points, <laughs> you know, that you want to put back in the gun when you get home for home defense? You got to, you know, sometimes it's not just e- as easy as burning through all your ammo. Um, but as a mentor, These are all things that we need to consider and think about. This is how we're going to advance the community is through positive interaction. And it's going to desensitize Americans, honestly, desensitize them to the gun imagery that they see from mainstream media that makes them freak out and get afraid of everything all the time. Why do you need that? Why do you need that? That's military grade, right? So as a mentor, this is a a responsibility we take on as being a mentor. Um, Develop like a curriculum. You know, and, and, and the book, I recommend everybody pick it up. It's like 20 bucks. If you have friends that are asking or you want to become a range officer or, you know, maybe I just did it for my own, you know, curiosity and, and wanting to read and, and learn more. But 
Um, the book actually provides a series of lessons that are about an hour each. I think there's like, I don't know, 12 or something, 12 or 13 of them. And it starts off with everything we talked about as simple as going over the rules of safety and firearm handling, grip, uh, administrative skills. And then, yeah, eventually you get into shooting, but <clears throat> I mean, shooting is something for new shooters. It's like the last concern. It's the, it's the point of all of it. Right. But it's almost the part of least importance when you're talking about teaching them. Right. Um, and when you're kind of either you want to go off his curriculum, he provides, or you want to, you're planning out with your friends, like, Hey, I'm going to take them all out. Cause I'm going to convince them that guns are okay. So I'm going to take these four friends out and you know, we're all going to start by uh, loading up the guns. Then we're going to do some basic shooting. Then we're we'll do some, you know, whatever. You're planning out your weekend trip up north uh, or, or whatever you're doing. Um, but when you're thinking about a curriculum, right, however large or small it is, think about meeting three different objectives, right? One, of course, being safety. Two, being the application of science. And three, being the development of culture, right? Everything that we just talked about and would, would discuss in, in mentoring new shooters and, and the education of shooters can be classified technically into one of three, one of those three groups, safety, application of science, development of culture. Now, the last piece to consider is probably the most fluid, but again, really critical. And that's just the environment and the resource levels that you're looking at when you're teaching new shooters. Um, and they look at a couple different environments, uh, whether you're at like a range, um, a range with ammo, a range without ammo, at home with ammo, at home without ammo. Um, basically at home with ammo being the most dangerous because you really, you don't want the gun to go off. There's no berm to shoot or bullet trap, whatever, berm, bullet trap, wall, whatever. There's nothing to catch that round. It's not supposed, the gun isn't supposed to go off when you're at home. So that's the most dangerous one. Um, and honestly at home without any ammunition and like some dummy rounds, probably being your best case scenario for new shooters. You can, you know, here, this is here, rack the slide for them, watch the round fly out, the dummy round fly out. You can teach them how to load a magazine with dummy rounds. Okay. And those are cheap. You can buy like, and they call them snap caps. If you've never heard of them, seen them or own them, uh, they don't call them dummy rounds. They call them snap caps. And all they are, um, either they're all metal nine millimeter rounds, like a little plastic disc where the primer would be. And you can, that's good for teaching. You can show them, Hey, this is your, this little plastic disc back here. It's kind of clear looking, at least in the ones I have had, um, or maybe it's metal. That's your primer. You're going to see that on a live round too. Um, but you, some of them are like uh, metal casings or brass casings with plastic heads on them and no primer in the back, but you can walk, they can be extremely valuable in demonstrating how to load the magazine, how to load the gun, how to rack the slide. Um, you know, going through how to, uh, make the gun safe and unload it right here. You rack the slide and drop the magazine. Is the gun safe? Yep, it is. Then you rack the slide and out comes that round cause you did it backwards. Okay. That is a safe way to teach, right? Without a ton of consequence. Not exactly a process I would recommend with live ammunition, obviously, um, again, for, for safety reasons. Um, but you have to have dummy rounds with, with most modern handguns. You can dry fire without them. I learned without dummy rounds. You know, I think I bought like four of them a, a couple months in, um, and then realized that dry firing was actually more of a pain in the ass for me as somebody who was semi starting to be semi experienced. They were more of a pain in the ass for me after I knew the fundamentals, um, to go through my drills and stuff. So I stopped using them. But as a new shooter, I mean, I played with them a lot and I bought a pack of them for, uh, well, my wife, she's my girlfriend at the time, but she bought her Springfield XDS. Go here, let me get you a box of snap caps, go home and play with your gun, you know, learn how to work it. And I, and I love saying that and hate saying that at the same time, because it's not a toy, but playing with your gun, you know, fidgeting with it, you know, it, it, it's the best way to get comfortable holding it, working it you know, you're not scared to pick it up anymore. Cause if you don't grow up around guns, I remember the first time I picked up a gun, a handgun, it was a little bit frightening, you know? And that was, I'd moved out of my parents' house, I was living with my brother, right? It's his Glock 43. He had bought like a week earlier or something. I'm like, okay, cool. Like this is kind of freaking. You're afraid it's going to go off no matter how you, you hold it, handle it, set it, you mean, whatever. Um, but Think about the environment, you know, is it somewhere they're going to feel safe doing this too? In their own home, they're going to feel comfortable. In your home, they'll probably feel comfortable. 
you know, uh, now for, let's say they were out surrounded by strangers in the middle of a park for obvious reasons, do not go take anybody to a park to learn how to dry fire, obviously. And I'm not advocating that. I'm just using it as an example to say that's putting somebody who's new trying to learn a new skill set they're already uncomfortable with in an even more uncomfortable environment. Okay. Um, you know, or a shooting range with all the noise and everything, and they're uncomfortable because they don't know what's going on. Again, this is why I say when somebody says, Hey, you know, I want to learn how to shoot, take me to go to the range, take me shooting. Okay. Well, why don't you come over to the house and we'll go through some things. And then if you're good, we'll go hit the range. You probably do it in the same day. If you wanted to here, come over at noon, spend a couple hours going through this stuff the right way. And then, Hey, we're gonna hit the range at two, two thirty. Range sessions are like half an hour. You can buy a full hour. Honestly, on a static range, um, I have a hard time with the hour because um, there's only, I mean, you could fill an hour. Um, I tend to go through more ammo, which I don't necessarily always love, but sometimes you need it. Um, but the range by me is a great range, but they have, they have a lot of safety rules that prohibit you from doing stuff that's going to be... Um, constructive, right? You can't do speed reloads. You can't move. Um, they don't allow rapid fire. They, I mean, there's, there's, and again, it's all for safety and that's why they have not had any incidents there. However, that's one of, you know, we call them training scars or training limitations, um, because of those boundaries that are put in place. So environment for a couple different reasons is a really big deal, but guys, seriously, this is huge. You know, um, Think about this stuff when people ask you, don't say, oh, don't go out and buy that piece of shit, Taurus. If somebody went out and bought a gun and said, hey, man, I bought this gun, can you sh can you help Can you help me? Yeah, I mean, hey, a Taurus might not be my first uh, my first choice. I, there's, there's worse guns out there, and if that's what they have, that's what they have. They can't afford to go out and buy something else? Well, here, you know what? We're going to make the best of the situation, and maybe in a year or something, you can afford to go out and buy a Glock, or you can go out and buy a Smith & Wesson. Hell, the Millennium G2 that Taurus has, pretty good gun, by all accounts, gets great reviews, you know, so don't be judgmental, and, and don't just, like I, you know, like I talked about, don't just be super negative about it, but mentoring new shooters is how we're going to help grow the community and and put a positive light on pro 2A individuals. People understand we're not just a bunch of gun nuts that don't care about innocent lives, that's why we don't want gun control. You know, it helps with the understanding. It puts in perspective that things like a stabilizing brace don't, in fact, make an AR rifle more deadly and more accurate. They were created to work around a legal, uh, a legal hurdle that was put in place for no reason other than uh, the fear of concealed weapons, which was totally irrelevant given, you know, the size of an AR and how the hell you're going to conceal it. But so spread a positive message and be a good mentor. And I hope this stuff helped. You know, some of the stuff, like I was saying, teaching somebody how to unload a gun, like, or how to do administrative carry tasks. Things that we forget as experienced shooters that, you know, hey, for us, it's second nature because we've done it so much. But for new people, they have no idea, right? And I, I really can't say it any better than you don't know what you don't know, right? I hope this has been enlightening for you guys. I hope you all get the opportunity to go out and talk to somebody either to become a mentor or to find a mentor. Uh, that's, you know, Sam has been doing a lot of work with me on the podcast. Obviously he's my partner here. Sam is my mentor. Sam knows a lot about guns, tactics, gear, all that stuff. And I look to him for a lot of advice and input. And yeah, as a, you know, our relationship has changed a little bit in relation to the mentor mentee role. But when I first bought a gun, yeah, he was somebody I confided in. He was somebody I could go to with questions and he was happy to help. And that's the kind of relationship you want with people, right? Be a good mentor. That's all we got for you guys this week. We're going to have a lot more next week. Uh, we got a really exciting weekend coming up doing some fun stuff. So check out our Instagram, uh, prepared.mindset.pod on, uh, over on Instagram, give us a follow, tell your friends. Uh, we're going to try and do some more Instagram live type things. Uh, head over to Facebook. We got a couple affiliate links over there with, uh, obviously Eclipse holsters. Also my medic. If you use our link through our Facebook page in our offer section to purchase any, uh, first aid stuff, anything from like a $3 boo-boo kit up to the $200, whatever. Um, you know, we get a little piece of that, something we're trying out 
uh, full disclosure, I think we get like 10% of whatever you guys spend that will help support us here to maybe uh, spark, you know, do some new stuff. But uh, check out our Facebook page, the Prepared Mindset Podcast over on, on Facebook. Check out the Instagram. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts now too, which is really cool. A lot of people were asking for that. So um, check us out there. Uh, give us a like. Give us a follow. Tell your friends about us. Uh, help us kind of grow here. The bigger we get, the more we can do. And, uh, and it's spreading a positive message. You know, we don't we're not really in this for the money at all uh, because I actually lose money on this every month when I pay to... to uh, to host the podcast, but, um, we think it's a noble effort and it's a positive message to send out to the the world and the community. So, uh, like I said, be that positive influence, share with your friends until next time, guys, get out there, be a good mentor, be a good friend, be a good, be a good fucking person. And as always be prepared.